Good morning. The title of this morning's message is The Best Rest. <laughs> Today I want to talk to you about the best rest, the rest of God. This rest is specifically mentioned in chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews, which is where we've been a lot lately. But in order to understand chapter 4, you need to remember what happened in chapter 3. And we also need to understand the difference between the rest that God offered the Old Testament Hebrews through Moses and the rest that God offers New Testament believers through Jesus. And we are going to actually work our way through all of chapter 4 today. But first, <laughs> let's go to Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, and see the original promise God promised the Israelites. This is where God talked to Moses at the burning bush and told him what the plan was. <laughs> verse 7, and Yahweh said, Surely I have seen the misery of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry of their distress because of their oppressors. For I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from this land to a good and wide land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. A whole bunch of ites. <laughs> so both Moses and the Israelites knew the plan from the beginning. The plan was to get out of Egypt, out of slavery, and into faith, freedom, and the land of promise. And through Moses, God led the whole nation of Israel miraculously out of Egypt and slavery. And then into the desert, because he's smart. <laughs> he knew they would want to avoid war or they would go back. <laughs> but then and when it came to time to go into the land of promise, things got a little tricky. <laughs> God had them send 12 spies into the land to see just how marvelous and wonderful it really was. And of course, it was. It was the land flowing with milk and honey. But those ites were in there. <laughs> they were giant ites. <laughs> and so 10 out of the 12 spies brought back a bad report. And we can see this in Numbers chapter 13, beginning with verse 30. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome. This is faith. <laughs> He's like, we got it, it's ours, let's go get it. But the men that went up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched to the sons of Israel, saying, the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eats up those who live in it. And all the people whom we saw in it were men of stature. They were big. <laughs> there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, of the giants. And we were in our own sight like grasshoppers. And so were we in their sight. The men who brought the bad report looked only at their own abilities to take the land. They probably really were like grasshoppers in comparison to the giants. <laughs> that was the reality. But that wasn't the point. Yahweh was their God. And it was Yahweh who had given them the land. And it was up to Yahweh to miraculously take them into the land of promise. The same way he miraculously took them out of Egypt. 
Joshua makes the same point in Numbers chapter 14, beginning with verse 8. If Yahweh delights in us, then he will bring us into this land, and he will give it to us, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against Yahweh, for you will not fear the people of the land, because they will be our food. <laughs> King James says, they will be our bread. We will eat them right up. <laughs> Their protection has been turned from them. In other words, they have no protection. Yahweh is with us. You should not fear them. And all the community said, to stone them with stones. <laughs> what? <laughs> but the glory of Yahweh appeared in the tent of assembly among the Israelites. Basically, God interrupted the rock-throwing party <laughs> and the overall rebellion. And he tells Moses what the repercussions are going to be for them for not believing God and for not entering the promised land. Because of their unbelief, they get to wander in the desert for 40 years until all the rebellious unbelieving believers die off. But their children will inherit what they had forfeited. Now, after they receive the news of their judgment, they decide that they would rather take their chances with the giants. Can you say stupid? <laughs> They would rather take their chances with the giants rather than roam around the desert for 40 years. They're like, well, this isn't working out the way we really wanted. Maybe we'll obey now. <laughs> so they decided that they would enter the land of promise in their own strength, which is rebellion <laughs> to what God had just told them. <laughs> we see this in Numbers chapter 14, beginning with verse 39. And Moses spoke words to all the Israelites, and the people mourned greatly. They rose up early in the morning and went to the top of the mount, saying, Here we are. We will go up to the place that Yahweh said, because we have sinned. But Moses said, Why are you going against the command of Yahweh? It will not succeed. You should not go up, because Yahweh is not in your midst. Do not let yourselves be defeated in the presence of your enemies. In other words, this is your choice, but it's a really stupid choice. <laughs> you have faith in your own self, not in your God. Verse 43, because the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you will fall by the sword, because you have turned back from Yahweh, and Yahweh will not be with you. In other words, God is not going to empower them in their disobedience. <laughs> They had unbelief. They still had unbelief. They still were rebelling against what God's word had just told them. They're trying to do it all by themselves. Verse 44. But they dared to go to the top of the mountain, and the ark of the covenant of Yahweh and Moses did not depart from the midst of the camp. So the Amalekites and the Canaanites who were living on the mountain descended, and they beat them down up to Hormah. What these stubborn, unbelieving believers did not realize was that entering into the promised land was never about them making the promise come to pass in their own strength. Their job was to look to God, <laughs> believe what he said, and then follow his directions. It was God and his miraculous power that would take them into the promise, not their own self-effort. But some of those stubborn Old Testament Hebrews continued in their stubborn unbelief and continued to ignore what God had just said to them <laughs> through Moses. 
They just continued to not pay attention. They just continued to not listen to the word of the Lord. And what they did not realize was that they could not undo what their unbelief had already produced, which was having their own way in the desert for 40 years. They didn't want to go into the promised land because of the big scary giants. So God didn't make them. (laughs) God will let us have our own way. It's not usually a good thing to have, but God will let you. (laughs) God did not make them, and that's because they were not capable. They were not capable of apprehending what God promised because they did not and would not believe. We can choose to believe. If God says something to me that I think is hard for me to believe, I can still choose it. (laughs) Because what I'm saying is, I know you said this, I know you can't lie, I choose to believe you, help my unbelief. Unbelief is a natural part of life. Life causes the, the unbelief. But I don't have to just live in unbelief. I can choose to take my unbelief to God and say, you persuade my heart. You, as the author and finisher of my faith, change my heart so that I can believe. God had promised them a land flowing with milk and honey and a land full of all kinds of ites. But they knew from the outset that they were not going to be able to just walk into the promised land under their own strength. They would need God to provide and empower the victory to enter the land, the same way he provided the power and the victory when they all left Egypt. This is really important for the New Testament Hebrews to understand. The New Testament Hebrews were contemplating trying to physically save themselves from painful persecution by going back into Judaism. In other words, by not listening to God. (laughs) It's funny how we think that will work for us, not listening to God. They could, just like the Old Testament Hebrews, take the opportunity to try and make their promise come to pass in their own way and in their own strength. But it would not provide them with what God promised. It would only provide them with death in the destruction of Jerusalem. And it was death that they were trying to avoid. There was only one way to apprehend the promises of God, and that is by trusting God and his word and then doing his word. When we see this truth again in the last part of chapter 3 of Hebrews, beginning with verse 15. While it is said, Today, if you will, Hear his voice. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation or irritation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke to grieve him. However, not all who came out of Egypt by Moses. In other words, Joshua and Caleb actually managed to make it. But with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they should not enter into his rest? But to those who did not believe. It wasn't that God didn't want them to enter in to his rest. It was because they didn't want to enter in when he told them to. (laughs) They didn't want to do it God's way. They wanted to do it their own way. They didn't want to enter his rest by faith. They wanted to do it by self-effort. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. You can't get a promise in unbelief. It doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) It just doesn't work. (laughs) If the Old Testament Hebrews could not, they were not able at that point to enter into God's promise or God's rest 
because of their unbelief. They would not choose to actually trust God and let him take them into the promised land. In other words, they would not cooperate with God's grace through faith. The promised land was their inheritance. It belonged to them. It was all of grace, but they could not access it <laughs> through their fear and doubt and unbelief and self-effort. Working hard will not access grace. Faith accesses grace. The only way to enter in was by trusting God to do what he said he would do. God promised to provide himself, his presence, and all of his power to take them into the promised land, which was a type and shadow of God's rest that is available to all believers. It was kind of like if someone wanted to get into my house without my key. It would not matter how many keys they actually possessed or how many ways they tried to force their keys into my lock. <laughs> None of what they possessed would open my door. For them to open my door, I would have to provide them with one of my keys. And the key to entering into the promised land was simply faith or trust in God and his word. And God gives us faith. He gives us the key and we have to put it to work. Those who died in the wilderness chose to not believe God. And they chose instead to try to enter into the promise using their own keys, so to speak, which of course did not work. Only faith and trust in God and his word could take the Old Testament Hebrews into the place of real rest, the rest of faith. The rest of faith is the best rest. And this, of course, is what the writer of Hebrews wants to convey to his New Testament Hebrews that were alive at the time that he wrote this. They, too, were living in a constant state of fear. Terror was all around all of the time. And being afraid all the time is exhausting. Remember people freaking out all the way through COVID? It's exhausting being afraid you're going to die all the time. <laughs> That's where the New Testament Hebrews were at. They were afraid all the time. So it's no wonder that they were thinking of going back into Judaism as a way to find rest. <laughs> they wanted the right thing. They wanted rest. They just were trying to use their own keys <laughs> to access it. So it's no wonder that that's what they were trying to do. But spiritually speaking, it is once again like jumping out of the frying pan and into the fire. Because under the law of Moses, nobody rests. <laughs> nobody ever rests. You have to work really hard. <laughs> because the work of salvation was never finished. Everyone had to continually work at becoming right with God and right in his sight. But under the new covenant, the real rest, the best rest, is found only through faith in Jesus and his finished work of salvation. And following Jesus was the only way for the New Testament Hebrews to actually be saved from the coming judgment on Jerusalem. And it was the only way for them to experience God's real rest and peace on the inside of themselves, even in the midst of frightening circumstances. This is why the author of Hebrews warns the New Testament Hebrews several times not to follow in the steps of their forefathers. Several times the author reminds them that today, 
Today we can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Today we can partake of our so great salvation by faith in Jesus. Today. And we can see this warning continues into chapter 4. But the author's focus changes from the physical promise and the physical salvation of the Old Testament Hebrews found in the promised land to the spiritual realities found behind the pictures painted by the Old Testament stories. The promised land most likely represents the new covenant of grace, where everything that's needed for life and godliness has already been granted <laughs> through the Father's divine power and through the true knowledge of Jesus. Just like the Old Testament believers, it's only apprehended and manifested in our lives by faith in God and his word. So, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 4 in the Passion Translation. Now, God has offered to us the same promise of entering into his realm of resting in confident faith. I call it the promised land of grace. <laughs> so we must be extremely careful to ensure that we all embrace the fullness of that promise and not to fail to experience it. The Old Testament Hebrews had their land of grace all for free, all supplied, milk and honey, getting rid of the ice, all provided, and they did not partake of it because they would not believe. So he's, don't be like them. Don't fail to experience what Jesus has done for you. So the writer wants his readers to be able to live in the peace and the rest that God meant for them to live in. And that only comes by believing the word of his grace. The Old Testament promised land was the word of his grace to them back then. But to the New Testament Hebrews, the word of his grace is Jesus and his finished works of salvation. Verse 2. For we have heard the good news of deliverance just as they did, yet they didn't join their faith with the word. Instead, what they heard didn't affect them deeply, for they doubted. The Old Testament Hebrews heard the word of God's grace, a land flowing with milk and honey. Yay! But they said, we're not sure you can really do it. <laughs> so they chose not to listen. They chose not to pay attention to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And by doing so, they chose not to believe. We can't believe all by ourselves. We need help. <laughs> and therefore, the unbelieving believers failed to enter into the life God wanted them to have. Verse 3. For those of us who believe in Jesus, and I added that, in Jesus, faith activates the promise, and we experience the realm of confident rest. It is that confidence, that rest that comes when we know that we know we are spiritually already saved. I already died. I was already risen with Christ. I am seated at the right hand of the Father. It's a done deal. Nothing can undo the done deal. That's confident rest. But these particular Hebrews also needed to have that same kind of assurance that Jesus would take them through the judgment and they would be saved physically. For he has said, I was grieved with them and made a solemn oath that they will never enter the calming rest of my spirit. By faith. God's works have all been completed from the foundation of the world. He's getting ready here to explain what a Sabbath rest is. Verse 4. For it says in the scriptures, 
and on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. In other words, he finished creation. <laughs> That's all that that means. And he rested because he was done creating. <laughs> Not because he was tired. He's like, look, it's finished. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Marvel at my creation. But just because he's finished creation, it doesn't mean he finished working. God is always at work. And even Jesus said this in John chapter 5, verse 17. I have it for you in the remedy translation. Jesus said to them, my father is always working. I love that. Always working. I can't see it, Jesus. Always working. <laughs> Are you doing something, Jesus? Always working. <laughs> God, our father, is always working. Always giving of himself for the good of his creation. That would be us. Today, right now, he continues to work for the healing and restoration of this world. And I, too, am working. Working with him in all he does. God is always working on our behalf and in us. That's what the old covenant people didn't have. They didn't have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. They could hear Holy Spirit, but he didn't live inside. God could rest from his creating because he didn't need to add anything to it. It was perfect. It was a done deal. Finished work. Sounds a lot like our salvation. <laughs> In Christ, we are done. We are done spiritually. We are already completely new creations. We are already righteous and holy, born-again sons of God. We are finished. What we are spiritually is finished. It's perfect. It needs nothing added to it. But there's so much for us to learn about who and what we are <laughs> and all that he wants to do in and through us. But we don't have to work hard to try to become righteous or become holy or become good or become wise. It's all a gift. It's all a gift. So by faith, we too have entered into the rest of his grace the best rest in Christ. We are a finished creation, learning how to live out into our lives who we already are in him and through him. One of the things that I love about the Genesis account is how he shows us all the days, you know, day one and two and three and four and five and six and seven, but you never hear about day eight or nine or ten. Why not? <laughs> because we were supposed to stay in day seven. The original design was that we should live in perfect communion with God in a place where everything is provided. This land of grace, we call it the Garden of Eden. He says, live here, <laughs> live in me and with me, and let's take over this world. <laughs> let's take Eden and go out and make Eden everywhere. That was the plan. It still is the plan. <laughs> But we were supposed to live in that kind of rest. We didn't worry about food. We didn't worry about clothes. We didn't worry about the neighbors. We didn't worry about COVID. We didn't worry about medical insurance. We didn't worry about any of that. Why? Because we knew our Father had everything provided. All by His grace. And all we had to do was believe Him. That's the paradigm that He wants us to step into. Everything's already been provided. We have already been provided, these new creations, full of the Holy Spirit and power. We're finished. We're just learning how to operate the equipment. <laughs> so 
So we were designed to live in a place where everything that was needed for life and godliness, were completely godly, was already provided by the absolutely free, loving kindness of our God and Father. And all we had to do was trust his word to us, choose to believe him, and act on what he said. What Adam and Eve forfeited through their unbelief has now been restored to us through the new covenant of grace and through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Verse 5. And again, as stated before, they will never enter into my calming place of rest. This guy is adamant. <laughs> He's like, I want you to get this. What is your real problem? You are not the real problem. <laughs> you are a finished product, but you have to believe what God says. If I think I'm not finished, then what am I going to do? I'm going to work really hard at becoming finished. <laughs> I'm going to stay up all night and pray and fast, trying to get God to move on my behalf. did that for years. And yes, I was blessed because God is good, but I didn't earn nothing. <laughs> Resting is so much better than working. <laughs> the writer is trying to really hammer this to these Hebrews. Choose life or death. Choosing Jesus is choosing life, choosing your own way, choosing to go back to Judaism, choosing to be under the law of Moses, choosing working hard, choosing all of that will get you nowhere. Choose to believe. <laughs> the New Testament Hebrews of that time had the same kind of opportunity at that point to either trust what God told them, that there was an escape, there was a plan, there was a deliverance, there was a happily ever after, there is what he promised, you can't have it, it's just a matter of time, just keep looking, keep believing, or you can try to your own keys and see if it works. <laughs> Jesus had promised his followers that there would be a miraculous deliverance for those who would hold fast to their faith in him and his word. Otherwise, they would just end up dying in the destruction of Jerusalem, just like the Old Testament Hebrews. Verse 6. Those who first heard the good news of deliverance failed to enter into the realm of faith's rest because of their unbelieving hearts. Yet the fact remains that we still have the opportunity to enter into the faith rest life and experience the fulfillment of the promise. Both the promise of spiritual salvation and the promise of physical salvation. They could have it all. We can have it all <laughs> because it's all given to us as a gift. When we are fully persuaded in our hearts regarding the promise, even in the midst of a difficult circumstance, the peace and rest of God can fill our hearts and we can stop trying to make something happen. We can stop trying to save ourselves. For example, last year when my husband had COVID, our daughter Sarah was, of course, praying for him. And God gave her a word that he would indeed come home and he would be fine. And then she experienced something very strange. She had this weird peace. <laughs> peace is really not something Sarah's used to. <laughs> she came out a worry wart. She has been a worry wart her whole life. So here she's interceding for Mark, and God says he's going to be fine. And she believed him. 
God gave her a word. She knew it was God. She knew he can't lie. She knew he's trustworthy. And it changed her heart. And this weird peace <laughs> came over her heart. And she was telling her husband, I think there's something wrong with me. <laughs> Because her brain was saying, you need to pray hard. You need to fast. You need to work. You need to do. Do, 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 do. So God will do, do, do. But God has already done. He's already done. He's already granted. He's already given. It's already ours. He's not doing. He's already done. <laughs> and what that peace does, that faith does, says, I know, I know this is done. And when you know it's done, you stop working. <laughs> you stop trying so hard and you rest. You enter into the rest, the faith rest that God wants us to live in all the time. You can have it all the time. But it's one of those things we're learning <laughs> to participate in. We're learning to trust God. We're learning to, to let him bring us into that peace that strange peace that is beyond understanding. For God still has ordained a day for us to enter into called today. For it was long afterwards that God repeated this particular promise in David's word. If only today you would listen to his voice and do not harden your hearts. The new covenant of grace is the today that David spoke of. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to be sozoed, saved, healed, delivered, perfected, provided for, and made whole. Today is the day. Today is the day that we can choose to listen and pay attention to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We all hear his voice, but not everyone chooses to pay attention to what he says and how he leads and guides us. But we can choose. We can choose to believe. Verse 8. Now, if this promise of rest was fulfilled when Joshua brought the people into the land, God would not have spoken later of another rest yet to come. Here the writer is explaining that the rest David spoke of was a spiritual rest, like the seven-day rest that God himself lives in. <laughs> He's finished. It's done. He can rest. And Jesus is the Joshua of the new covenant of grace. Moses, who represents the law, did not and could not take the Old Testament Hebrews into the promised land. Because the promised land is all of grace. And you can only turn the key by faith. The law will not take you in to grace. <laughs> it's a funny thing that works that way. Working hard will not get you into grace and peace and rest. Only faith will. Only faith can access grace. And the promised land was provided purely by God's grace. It was only acceptable by faith. And Joshua in the Old Testament was a man full of faith. Faith takes grace. It's mine! I'm taking it! <laughs> it belongs to me! That's faith! Verse 9. So we conclude that there is still a full and complete rest waiting for the believers to experience. The word rest in this verse is in quotes because it's not the same word that we saw previously. This is the word used specifically 
to refer to the Sabbath rest, the seventh day of rest of God. The rest that we were designed to live in. A rest given to us by God and in God. It's the rest that comes from entering into and experiencing our Father's grace through the faith in the finished works of Jesus. The idea of the Sabbath rest, this one here, also includes the idea of celebrating. It isn't just rest because you're tired. It's a rest that you celebrate, that you don't have to do the work. <laughs> Imagine if someone said, here, here's a gift certificate. Someone's going to come clean your house for the next year. Celebrate! <laughs> Why would we celebrate? Because we don't have to do the work! <laughs> That's what he's talking about! <laughs> In the new covenant of grace, salvation is a completed work through Christ. We can't add anything to what Jesus has done. And this fact was also really important for the New Covenant Hebrews to remember. Because even though they had believed on Jesus, many of them were still keeping with the Mosaic Law. Believing that it was still necessary as a part of obtaining all of God's grace. Law doesn't get you into grace. And many believers today are under the same misconception. They believe that salvation is what happened to them when they physically die. And that keeping the law is what keeps them saved. That's a mixture of the Old and New Covenant. And believers living under that misconception do not experience the best rest, the strange peace, the celebrating of the Sabbath. I don't have to do it. God already did it for me. That rest is only found in believing in the finished works of Jesus. He does all the house cleaning. <laughs> Under the new covenant, salvation is a completely free gift that is received today, and today, and today, and today, and today. When it's today, you can have whatever is in your covenant. <laughs> Everything for life and godliness. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to stop working in an effort to make ourselves into what we think God wants us to be and instead to receive by faith everything he has already made us to be in Christ. He has already made us to be new creations that are finished, complete, full of God, and at rest. Believing this is what brings us into that full and complete rest, the best rest, the strange peace, the celebration. Verse 10. As we enter into God's faith rest life, we cease from our own works, just as God celebrates his finished works and rests in them. The works he's referring to are the dead works. <laughs> the working hard to try to get God to move, to try to get God to like us. We need to cease from our own works. It's all the stuff that we do in an effort to make God or keep God happy. God does not want us to bring him our works. Instead, he wants to live and work in us and through us so he can celebrate his own works. <laughs> Verse 11. So then we must give our all and be eager to experience this faith rest life so that no one falls short by following the same pattern of doubt and unbelief. Again, he's going right back to those old 
covenant people. <laughs> the same pattern of doubt and unbelief refers to the old covenant Hebrews choosing on purpose to refuse to enter into the promised land because they didn't believe in God's goodness or God's word to them. And for the Hebrews receiving this letter, it's basically saying, don't go back to Judaism as a way of saving yourself. You'll end up just like your forefathers, dying in a desert of self-effort. Don't do it. <laughs> and the author also tells us that all our efforts should be focused on continuing to stay in the rest of faith. Staying in the rest isn't always easy. Sometimes things are scary. Sometimes things are hard. Sometimes we doubt. We can choose to focus on Jesus. And he will calm our hearts. He speaks and gives our heart rest. But we have to continually go back to the word of God and let Jesus, he's the author and the finisher of our faith. And he's the one that persuades our hearts with his absolutely free loving kindness. He persuades our hearts so that we can trust him, so that we can believe his word. It's never up to us to make faith. He makes faith. He persuades our heart. He gives us that rest. This, of course, leads us to verse 12. For we have the living word of God, which is full of energy, and it pierces more sharply than a two-edged sword. It will even penetrate to the very core of our being, where soul and spirit, bone and marrow meet. It interprets and reveals the true thoughts and secret motives of our heart. The author has been trying to persuade his New Covenant Hebrew readers to heed the word of God, telling them over and over again not to harden their hearts. Don't ignore when God is speaking. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. But then this verse, it says the living word of God. And most People will say, well, that means the Bible. We have to go to the Bible, and the Bible will tell us what our heart is doing. The Bible doesn't know what our heart is doing. <laughs> Jesus knows what our heart is doing. Jesus is the one who persuades our heart. Jesus knows when we're afraid. Jesus knows the answer. He is the remedy for a heart that is afraid. Jesus is the living word. This is the living word, the word that was with God in the beginning and who is himself God, that word. <laughs> and that word speaks, and that word speaks grace and promise and rest, and that's all he speaks. He implores his people to trust him and his word to them because they can only enter into the promises through faith, the faith that he produces, the faith that he works in us. And it's only through faith that they and we can live in the best rest the grace of Christ himself. The new covenant believers were living in constant fear of losing their lives. And they were reasoning that going back to Judaism was a very logical way to save themselves. <laughs> but if they were going to be honest with themselves, they would have to admit that doing so would be blatant unbelief. And that they would be doing the exact same thing their forefathers did. They would be choosing to die in the desert instead of entering into what Jesus had promised, which was a spectacular deliverance from the judgment coming on Jerusalem. So the author basically tells them that since they can't hide their hearts from God, they might want to just admit that they need help entering into the rest of faith by grace. Verse 13. 
There is not one person who can hide their thoughts from God. For nothing that we do remains a secret, and nothing created is concealed, but everything is exposed and defenseless before his eyes, to whom we must render an account. This is really talking about dealing with the fact that we have unbelief. <laughs> I used to be a word of faith girl. You never talk about having unbelief. We have faith, we have faith, we have faith. But that doesn't make it so. <laughs> I can sing it all day long. <laughs> Only he gives me faith. I can't make it. I can't manufacture it. So if I know I have unbelief, I know I'm not manifesting the promises, I know I'm falling short of his glorious perfection, what do I do? I can't fix me. He will. He will. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Period. And that's true for all of us, even when we're struggling to take hold of our promises because of the unbelief caused by natural circumstances. I wish every time I laid hands on somebody, they got instantly healed. Amen. Let <laughs> there's natural unbelief. <laughs> you look at them and they don't look any different. <laughs> <laughs> you ask them how they feel, they don't feel any different. What happens? Maybe this doesn't work. Maybe I'm not powerful enough. Maybe I don't have enough faith. Maybe they don't have enough faith. It's got to be somebody's fault. <laughs> we simply learn to walk into what he's already provided. To walk just like Jesus walked. To speak to something and know that it's up to the Father to make it happen, not me. I don't make it happen. I just take my little hands and put them on people, and he touches them. And I believe that regardless of what I see, they received. Because the word says, if you ask, he gives. He always gives. Why? Because it's grace. But sometimes we have a hard time taking. We have a hard time believing. It happened when we asked God to do it. <laughs> If we have unbelief, it's his problem, so to speak. We just simply go to him, and he's the one that removes the unbelief. It's as easy as, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. The man who said that received the miracle he was looking for for his son. He recognized, I know you can, I'm not sure you're going <laughs> to. It's only when we admit our weaknesses that he can become our strength. So it is to him we must go. And we must, 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 must hear him. <laughs> we must hear him speak to us by the Spirit and through the Word. Because he is the author and the finisher of our faith. And he is the one who brings our faith to maturity and completion. So that we do apprehend and manifest his promises. It's his work in us. And he's happy to do it. Verse 14. So then, we must cling in faith to all we know to be true. For we have a magnificent king priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who rose into the heavenly realm for us and now sympathizes with us in our frailty. He understands what it's like to be us. <laughs> 15. He understands humanity. For as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way, just as we are, and conquered sin. We don't have to be ashamed of our unbelief. It's part of being in, living in this natural world. 
But we don't have to stay in unbelief. We can go to Jesus and he will lead us into faith and grace and rest. Verse 16. So now we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. I love the way they did this verse. Because of God's grace, we get to come to his throne freely. There's no curtain separating us. There's nothing separating us from God. We are in his presence. We are the holy of holies. And we have the right to just expose who we really are. <laughs> Knowing he's not going to condemn us. He's not going to be mad at us. God, I failed. Yep, saw that. Let's do this over here instead. <laughs> he has an answer for everything, not a punishment for everything. He wants to give us confidence in his goodness. So that regardless of what we see, regardless of what we feel, we know his word is true. I love the fact that this verse says that where love is enthroned. We know the word tells us God is love. God is agape love. And if we had a picture that every time we came to God, love, <laughs> love was coming at us. Love was embracing us. Acceptance was embracing us. He kisses all over us like the prodigal son without even having to be a prodigal. <laughs> Just love. We would run there all the time. We would run there constantly. Oh, you love me. Go ahead. <laughs> I feel so good when you love me. Yes. See, when we know we're loved, we can trust him. We don't trust people we don't love. <laughs> we trust people we do love. And we receive mercy's kiss. Mercy is God's compassion. He co-suffers. But he doesn't leave us in our co-suffering. He works to alleviate our suffering. And discover the grace, the divine enablement of the Holy Spirit that we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. We don't have to stay weak, and we don't have to stay afraid, and we don't have to stay in unbelief. We can enter into the best rest, the rest of faith in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is all of grace. Everything he did is all of grace. It's all of a free gift, loving kindness up the wazoo. <laughs> he loves us like crazy and he wants us to enter into our promises. That is always his plan. He wants us to rest in his goodness. And in closing, several famous verses. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest as a gift. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Yes, we're still learning. <laughs> For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He wants us to learn to live in that strange peace <laughs> where our hearts are fully at rest all of the time. Knowing we have a good, good Father who's already provided us with everything we need for life and godliness. Amen? Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you are the living word, that you live in us and you speak. You are speaking, God, and you speak all the time. You lead us and guide us into all the truth. You have already finished us. 
We are complete in Christ. We lack nothing in you. Nothing. You have given us the Holy Spirit and all the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We lack nothing. We are simply just learning to walk in what you've already provided for us. We're learning to walk in your patience. We're learning to walk in your love. We're learning how to operate the way you do. Father God, we thank you that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. We don't make it. <laughs> we just receive it. We thank you, Father God, that we, we do have the opportunity to always choose to believe what you're speaking. We thank you, Father God, that you are growing us up into this prototype, into the image of Christ in the natural. And so, Father God, we thank you for the work you are doing in us and for us. In Jesus' name, amen.